Hello, and welcome to the Constructor Cast, your AGC place for all the news, views, and interviews relevant to your construction business. I'm your host, Leah Poconis. This is our fifth episode in our COVID-19 special edition series, where we are bringing you timely information that is important for construction companies to consider as they strive for business continuity. I have three guests here with me today, and I'd like to start by inviting them all to introduce themselves. Ken, why don't we start with you? Hi, I'm Ken Simonson, Chief Economist for AGC of America. Great, thank you, Ken. Uh, Amy, can you go next? Sure. I'm Amy O'Sullivan. I'm a partner in the Government Contracts Practice Group with Kroll & Mooring. Thanks, Amy. David, how about you? Hi, I'm David Robbins. I'm Amy's partner, also within the Government Contracts Practice at Kroll and & Mooring, and a former federal enforcement official. Great. Thank you. Thank you all for being here today. Ken, my first question is for you. On a mostly weekly schedule, AGC has been con conducting an all-member COVID-19 impact survey, whereby you have been collecting a whole lot of information and trying to better understand the impacts of the virus on the construction industry. The latest results show that the Paycheck Protection Program loans are really saving jobs in the construction industry. Can you tell us in some detail what the results are showing and what you're seeing. Sure, Leah. Our latest survey was conducted April 20th to 23rd, and we had over 840 responses from contractors all over the country. Three quarters of them had already applied or had intended to apply for a PPP loan, and 44% have already gotten money. Others say they've been approved, but they're still waiting for the funds. A few others said that they uh, were not had not received an answer, and about 7% said that they had been shut out of the first round of funding. But now that the president has signed an extension of that program, replenished the funds, I'm hopeful that they'll also be able to get the money. Uh, it has paid off. 13% of respondents said that they have added construction workers. And that's in spite of the fact that owners are drastically uh, cutting back on future projects. So this will definitely help construction firms keep more people on the payroll. Great, thanks for that update, Ken. And with the information you shared, I mean, we're, we're really, able to understand that a lot of construction for firms have applied for and are receiving loans, which is great news. And I'm glad to have two partners with the law firm of Kroll and Mooring with us today to give us a little bit more insight into the guidance that surrounds this loan program. And yesterday, the U.S. Department of Treasury updated its frequently asked questions, and it added an FAQ demanding repayment of Paycheck Protection Program loans from companies with adequate sources of liquidity. So let's break down what that means. Amy, the first question that I have is, what does the PPP application require applicants to certify in good faith when they're applying for a loan? So there's actually a list of certifications. Uh, the one that is implicated by this most recent FAQ, however, relates to a specific certification. 
uh, which is one that's actually generated a large number of questions because of the vague nature of the certification, which has not changed. That certification is that current economic uncertainty makes this loan request necessary to support the ongoing operations of the applicant. So the question and most of the inquiries that have come to us is, what, what is uncertainty? What is the timeline on this? Uh, ongoing operations, we don't know how far out companies are supposed to be projecting on it. Um, when issued in the application from its initial release to apply for the loans weeks ago, uh, this had been broadly interpreted as quite flexible. Um, asking for a good faith ability to certify on uh, things that have a lot of subjective elements to it. But as long as companies in their situation uh, were dealing with uncertainty, which to be honest, uh, most companies in the middle of the pandemic have been implicated by a full range of uncertain circumstances. So it had been viewed as a certification that was unclear, albeit subject to fairly broad interpretation. This standard now in in the FAQ that the Department of Treasury has has laid out, are are you looking at that as applying to all companies that have previously applied for and are receiving the PPP loans? So this is the standard that was in the borrower application from the get-go. The certification has not changed. The CARES Act legislation has not changed. And there are a number of exceptions included in the legislation that allowed for ability to apply for much larger companies, most notably in the hotel and restaurant industry. Um, with this guidance yesterday, none of those terms changed. What did change is this concept of guidance. And we're sitting here today now talking about sort of a game-changing question, all based off of what has been a regularly updated guidance document. Uh, that Treasury has been uh, continuing to, sometimes in the middle of the night, issue changes, uh, redefinitions, reversions back to prior definitions, and clarifications on standards. So this guidance uh, came out adding additional elements, uh, appearing to be reactionary in large part to uh, a lot of media scrutiny on the fact that a number of the first waves of applicants were in fact publicly traded companies. So there is a question that is designed and focused on uh, implications and ability for large businesses to apply. However, the response provided is open-ended uh, and addresses added elements associated with making uh, that as a good faith certification based on an applicant's ability to access other sources of liquidity. This is new. And this is uh, essentially being provided as a lens in which uh, applicants are supposed to be interpreting that certification. Okay, so this new FAQ and this reference or this, you know, sort of new standard pointing to adequate sources of liquidity. How should contractors, how do you advise contractors to respond to this, to this new information that is in yesterday's FAQ? So it absolutely requires a broader review of financial circumstances. With the first wave of applications uh, and the fact that the applications uh, were received and processed on a first-come, first-served basis, many companies were simply applying and asking questions later, not doing a full assessment of options and what access to liquidity they may or may not have. This now, and it's not limited to public companies, does require that further consideration and assessment 
of what other options, for example, access to lines of credit, a company may or may not have in order to meet this certification standard. And you stress it is not just applying to publicly traded companies. So, and I know, David, you you probably want to jump in here. So we're talking about construction firms making sure that they have their documentation in place. Um, is there more that, that you want to add to that, David? And, and I'm interested also in knowing what if a construction firm doesn't feel that they have the documentation or what if, what if the agency is unsatisfied with a contractor's paperwork? What, what could happen? Yes, they're all good questions and addressing them in order. There is a common temptation in these sorts of scenarios and it repeats following natural disasters or war zone contracting even to really just get in, make your application, get what the stimulus funds, the money flowing and get people to work fixing the problem. And then people think, well, I, I got my contract or I got my loan in this case, so therefore I must have qualified. But that's not the way this statute is written. And leaning on past similar instances, we know when it's right in the Stimulus Act itself, we know oversight is ramping up. There will be hundreds, if not thousands of auditors involved. These, the documentation, we can't emphasize enough how important it is. And it makes sense to pause right now and make sure the documentation is in place, piece together what you can, come up with a contemporaneous and now-based record rather than a justification later when someone asks questions. But to your other question, what happens if there's a disagreement about what's good enough or what the intent was? We need to be able to spend the time now to bolster our application, even whether there are file memos, if we don't have the documentation on what we were thinking and how we thought we got comfortable with the application and do our best to create the close to contemporaneous record as we can. Because it's an, an inevitability that your members, some of them, will be faced with pushback from the government. This isn't good enough. Well, that's 2020 hindsight long after the fact, after the pressure of the moment has faded. And ultimately, if it moves forward to an enforcement action, the finder of fact, the judge, or the prosecutors involved and the like, will be able to push back and forth with you saying, I get it, but here's our documentation, here are our file memos, here's our real-time capture of what we were thinking at the moment. And Amy's expertise is extraordinarily vital to explain the shifting nature of the guidance and the confusion. A well-meaning business mistake, an attempt to meet guidance but coming up a little short, not necessarily actionable. Keeping your head buried in the sand and not trying, probably more actionable. What would be the consequences of not meeting the government standard? There could be plenty. There could be criminal consequences. There could be civil consequences. There could be False Claims Act filings. There could be a whole panoply of punishment. There could also be just routine audit pressure to return the money, perhaps plus interest later. Those are the standard tools that the government has followed after every Stimulus Act, natural disaster, even the enactment of the Affordable Care Act, right? And how you try and claw back money later. Flavors of that flow through all of these. That just because they can happen doesn't mean they will. But the government has tremendous enforcement and punitive power here. Okay. And it's important to be well-informed. So appreciate what you shared. AGC noted uh, a date in the FAQ of May 7, 2020. Can you uh, share for us and explain what is the significance of that deadline? Uh, so this this has actually been issued. It's a significant uh, new 
twist or guidance or uh, I would argue uh, additional eligibility requirements. They are applicable, unlike most of the FAQs that have been issued. Actually, I'd say all of them to date have been forward looking and have uh, had their impact limited to those who were applying after the guidance had been issued so that companies who previously had been unaware would not have been subject to this rolling guidance. This FAQ yesterday is different. It actually is backwards looking as well, which is challenging for companies who applied based on the standard known, based on the information known, who lo and behold now uh, see Treasury saying something quite different. Um, so way, the way that it has been released is with a safe harbor period. So companies right now have a two-week period through May 7th to do this assessment, to focus on ensuring that they have the ability to gather this documentation. Um, and to the extent after doing and undertaking those efforts, concerns remain. The companies have up until that date to repay the loan amount in full. And having done so, essentially, uh, they would be absolved of any potential liability. Okay, so that's a very significant date. Anything else you wanna add, Amy? Uh, all I can say is, is the reaction to this has been significant. Um, a, a number of the, and again, the way that the guidance has been released, um, it, it, is, it was not expected. Uh, it comes up as a buried new question on a treasury document uh, without some advance notice that it's forthcoming. It took hours, if not half a day, for it to be circulated in the media. Uh, and since then, um, a lot of the focus still has been on these publicly traded companies, uh, but it is noted that there have been com comments from members of Congress, as well as from Treasury, that the focus was as intended to be broadly applicable. Um, with the backlash and the reaction to the broad language in response to a question that arguably might have been more targeted, uh, I think it is very likely that there will be more guidance or more clarification issued. Just today, uh, SBA has actually even released a new interim final, final rule, now the fourth one associated with the Paycheck Protection Program that only touches on lightly with this new safe harbor period, essentially acknowledging now in an interim final rule that this guidance has been issued, acknowledging uh, that safe harbor provision, but also clearly recognizing the intent of the review of that certification standard as not just applying to publicly traded companies, uh, because there are even references to ensuring compliance with uh, companies that are backed by private equity entities. So um, again, I think this is continuing to evolve. Um, it's really difficult to advise 24 hours later um, when the reactions are still being digested to this. Uh, but my hope is, is by next week, we might get some more insight. Well, thank you so much for the information that you shared and for doing it um, on you know, such short notice and so quickly after the guidance has come out. Want to thank everyone for listening. This has been another episode of AGC's Constructor Cast. We hope that you found the information to be helpful. You can subscribe to Constructor Cast through your podcast app, or you can stream it straight from your computer at www.agc.org/constructorcast.